to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. What's up and welcome to another episode of EST, the podcast for established church leaders by established church leaders. My name is Josh King and Sam, you say your name right there. My name is Sam and I've had plenty of coffee this morning. Sam and I are the co-host of EST and uh, this morning we have a guest on the show today. His name is Michael Wood. Michael is the lead pastor, senior pastor. I don't know. Michael, are you the leader or the senior? All the above. All the, he is the pastor. <laughs> Use the article of First Baptist Church, West Monroe, Louisiana, or Louisiana, if you're not from there. It's Louisiana, if you are. And he is, uh, he's a good friend of mine, great pastor. He's on the show today. Michael, what's your day look like? You having a good day? Man, it, it well, yeah, it's a good day doing a little uh, counseling with one of our staff members who found out uh, had kind of a rough thing that happened yesterday to him. So starting off the day with uh, mm-hmm. not following the calendar, but doing ministry even to, to staff. So, yeah, man, it's a good day. Yeah. Well, cool. How about you, Sam? Is your day going good? Yeah, I'd, just since you're asking, we're talking about our mornings already. I had breakfast with the local pastor, and nice. he's doing well. It, their church is like one mile away from our church, and we get along really really well he's of the campbellite movement background and i am baptist and so we kind of joke that we literally used to get in fist fights uh in the <laughs> hills of kentucky you did uh, our ancestors did so that's right um we we get along we get along swimmingly and uh it was it was good to catch up so the lesson for our listeners mm-hmm Go reach out to somebody okay. and be a friend. Go be a have friend breakfast, to someone. Have breakfast with the Campbellites in your town. If you're a Baptist, reach out to a Campbellite and tell them you love them. Yeah, yeah. They're not that <laughs> bad. They're actually pretty fun people to hang out with. They're the, more fun uh, than Baptists. Let's just admit it. Um, on, on, on the general, yes. Come the on. The Campbellites? Yeah, this, independent this Christian like movement Christ, versus right? Baptist. Come on. They're way more fun than us. Like the Church of Christ? No, the well, they, they, they can't, yeah, they did, no, I'm talking about uh, independent Christian. Oh, well, I mean, if you're talking about Church of Christ, they're not fun at all. <laughs> uh, don't know. <laughs> we have some We have some Church of Christ listeners. Thank you very much, Josh. And they are King. probably banned. They probably don't tell anybody they listen to this show because they would, get, they would get kicked out. Hey, yesterday I found out that our college minister was exposed to a positive case of COVID-19. And so, guess who had less than 24 hours to prep a college sermon? Come on. Yeah. Yeah, we've been dealing with that down here, just, you know, having to having to quarantine and get tested. And we, we kind of got a little run and tally on the staff of, you know, who's been tested the most. But No, I don't think any of us. Well, now there's about three of us that are about to get tested. I haven't been tested yet because I'm convinced I had it in February. But do we'll the see. do the do the double barrel, man. No. Double barrel in the nose, the brain tickler. No, nope. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I'd rather, I'd rather have COVID than have something shoved up my nose. Hey, it's, I've, uh, I've had it's it. It's one of the most interesting feelings you will ever f- uh, have. It's, interesting it's, is the worst way to say yeah, it. Yeah, it's not. What's pleasant. up, Michael? You said you had it. You had yeah, COVID. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. I had not have COVID, but I've had to be tested three times and uh, up oh the nose. God. The first two weren't bad. Uh, the last one was. Uh, it was one of the most most least enjoyable things I've ever experienced in my life. It was Do awful. Do you remember when like a bunch of people in Louisiana were dying because of neti pot? They had like a bacteria. 
bacteria in the water. <laughs> I'm not letting I do not remember Louisiana that. go no. up my nose. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. When I went in, when I went in for my first time, there was a guy uh, who was in the, in the waiting room, an older gentleman. Yeah. And uh, a lady asked me, she's like, hey, have you had this? He said, yeah. She says, is it bad? He said, well, it's not that bad. I mean, the lady knocked my hat off last time she did it. So, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> there, there you go. Stick that thing up so far your nose, it knocks your hat knocks off. Knocks your hat off. That's yeah. awesome. Old yeah. man jokes are the best. Yeah. So, Sam, nothing to do with jokes. Tell them about our sponsor. Yeah, we've got Church Initiative, as always, a wonderful sponsor, great organization. Uh, if, you, if you haven't been listening to us, uh, then you need to know. And if you have been listening to us, then you need to go check them out. What are you waiting on? Yeah, what, what on earth are you waiting on at this point? Grief Share and Divorce Care are the two programs that we talk about here on this program because we love both of those programs. Um, they've made it simple. They've made it easy. Uh, for you as a church, really of any, any size church, for grief or divorce recovery ministry, you get one of your volunteers and you connect them to their coaches. And they offer these, the coaches that they offer, they walk you through a ministry launch plan. They do the work for you. Really, all that you have to do as a church leader is get a lay person who's willing to do it connected to their coaches. And they take it from there. And it's a great, great program. Both grief, uh, grief share and divorce care. Are, are excellent. So, even if you're a smaller church and you're wondering, can I do this? Yes, you can. Here's how you can find out more about it. Go get their quick start guide and you can find it at divorcecare.org slash start slash EST or griefshare.org slash start slash EST. Uh, so, go to the link. Uh, again, I'll say it one more time, divorcecare.org slash start slash EST, griefshare.org slash start slash EST. I know they'd love for you to just inquire, see what they're about. Um, we would too, because we believe in these programs. They're excellent ministries. That's right. So, if you are a regular listener, you know that last week we discussed uh, with Clay um, preaching changes, uh, the future of preaching, uh, especially since COVID and how it has changed our habits, our, our direction. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that, man, everybody became a televangelist, you know. All of a sudden, we all, we're all talking to cameras, those sort of things. So, the question now, though, is, and it grew really out of that conversation, is preaching venues. Preaching venues and how they're going to change and how they're going to shift. For a long time, there were these massive venues built, 1,100-seat sanctuaries on the small end. What's the largest sanctuary you guys have ever been in? Ever ever been in? Yeah, yeah. Sanctuary, not like a, you know, like an amusement park or an arena that there's somebody's preaching in, but sanctuary built Sunday morning service. Ooh, good question. I, I'd say probably Idlewild up in Lutz, yeah. which is a church I love, by the way. Yeah, I was on staff at Prestonwood, so that's probably the biggest biggest I've been in. I think there's a 7,000. The Baptist 6, Dome. 7,000, yeah. Prestonwood, the Baptist Dome yeah. or Preston World. And um, Idlewild's worship space is actually modeled after Prestonwoods, if I'm not mistaken. Nice. Gotcha. And I think it's pretty close, the same same size. Prestonwood doesn't I've been in it several times. It doesn't feel as big as it is. It I mean, it was done well. It yeah. was done well. It feels feels good. It is huge. It's massive. But it is massive. But it doesn't feel huge. Uh all right. What's the smallest preaching venue you've ever been regular sunday morning worship not not little side chapel of a mega church like literally this is their their sanctuary what do y'all think man our south side campus has a pretty pretty small worship space how many folks fitting in there 
Uh, you could cram 80, maybe, maybe, well, with the way that it's laid out, maybe 80, maybe. Pre-COVID, pre-COVID 80. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I mean, that's just, it's just a small, it's yeah. a small little room. Yeah. Yeah. What about, what about you, Michael? I would, I would probably say one of our campuses here, kind of same thing as Sam. Um, <clears throat> it's, uh, it's not a traditional like sanctuary feel to it, but if we put chairs in there, it's probably, probably a hundred adults. It's feeling tight. So, nice. Yeah. There's a little chapel. Um, it's called Beck's Chapel. It's a family cemetery, like ancient family cemetery. All of my relatives are buried there in East Texas. And uh, the little chapel, the white chapel that's there, maybe 40, 50 people. That's it. And wow. it used to be a used to be the church in that area. Um, but yeah, very small. So so we're going to talk about preaching venues and one of the challenges I, I was actually sharing with my wife the other day that ironically, I, I, I've dealt with some churches before on a coaching situation, especially revitalization. And one, one I'm thinking of particularly, the sanctuary sat 1,100 people and they weren't obviously running 1,100. At this time, they were running, I want to say 20, 25, worshiping in an 1,100 seat sanctuary, 20, 25 people. But those massive sanctuaries with COVID restrictions, I mean, you could actually fit a lot more people, you know, that would be actually a bonus to having that big sanctuary with the smaller church, which is typically a bad sign. No? What do you think, Sam? Yeah, I I think that there are some advantages to a little larger space right now. Right. With social distancing in effect. But that is a limited window of opportunity and it will change once things get back to quote unquote normal probably by the third quarter of next year um if if not maybe you know maybe fourth quarter depending on how this vaccine works out that they're saying will be released in november i i don't know Mm. um but then we're right back to where we started so what we what we know for a fact is that the new build worship space is getting smaller Right. So, you know, it's dropped by three or four hundred and it depends on which builder you're asking and how they're counting. But, you know, the the average um, worship space, the new build was 13, 14, 1500. Now it's a thousand eleven hundred. So we're seeing smaller venues built on average right now. I think that trend will continue. I think you're going to start seeing more four, five, six, seven, eight hundred venues being built at, as new new ones come online. And I think that the days of, you know, six, seven, eight thousand are gone, never to return. Uh, you would be uh, uh, the word I would use is fool to build something like that right now. Mm. Um, that's just not the future. Uh, the future is smaller. Uh, the future is churches of three, four, five, six hundred. Um, in, ter- in terms of venues, not just, the, you know, you may have six or 10 of those venues and be a large church, but um, the venues are going to get smaller. The expectations of people are going to be smaller crowds, not larger. Um, so the, f- and, and we're seeing that with the mega church phenomenon waning itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was exponential growth of the mega church through the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. Um, since 2010, we have not brought any, the number of megachurches has remained the same. You've got new megachurches and the ones that exist are getting bigger. But you're not seeing the number of megachurches increase. It's still right around 1,600, 1,700. And that's 10, 12 years worth of data there. So, um, we know for a fact that the church venue is getting smaller 
and mega churches are not increasing in number. So those two data points alone tell us that people are expecting smaller churches. Um, now, to what degree? Does that mean that the church of 50 now has the advantage over the megachurch? No, that's not what that means. Mm. It just means that the venues are getting smaller and the expectations of those venues are changing and changing drastically. Yeah. Michael, uh, you are, if I'm not mistaken, I'm not I'm not trying to be tongue-in-cheek or anything, but you are, you pastor a, a quote-unquote megachurch, correct? We do. Yeah, that's right. And what size is your uh, venue? Your yeah, we, venue? we seat around 1,900 in our venue. Mm. Yep. That's quite large. Sam, what's what's West Bradenton's sanctuary seat? Well, it depends on who you ask around here. Um, <laughs> Some will say you can cram 800 in it. Uh, mm. I will say not 800 the way I see our people. Um, sure. But I, we can, I mean, once we put like our Christmas Eve service, you know, we can have 600 and it mm-hmm. is jam packed mm. full people standing on the back wall at 600. Mm. I think we are, we have three or four, because we have a flat floor and chairs, which I love. Yep. Love, love, love. I had a sloped floor with pews before, and I have a flat floor with chairs right now. And uh, we have three or four setups. It depends on how many ways you want to put in the center aisle. You want to put in the center aisle, take out the center aisle. We have a number of what I call avenues, ways to disperse the crowd out. It's actually pretty interesting, although this isn't the topic, but we sat there and figured out ways to manipulate the people where they will sit by putting in additional rows or additional, uh, like I said, avenues, little cuts through seating, and it dispersed the crowd out more. And so it was really kind of interesting. So all that to say, I have three setups and right now I think we're in the smallest that's at like four, four thirty, four forty. It can go up to five fifty, depending on, you know, filling in those rows and still having egress and all the stuff that you're supposed to have according to the fire marshal. So yeah. um you though, Michael, you have multiple campuses, so I'm curious how those relate. You said one hundred's tight. You got one that would you say nineteen hundred? 19 on the big one? Yeah, at our West Monroe campus is 1900. And then uh, we've got another campus. It's the north side of Monroe. Uh, that one it used to be basically a gym, family life center, uh, the church that we merged with. And so when we when we began to give leadership to it, that's we transitioned, transitioned into the worship space. So I think the occupancy is like 700 for that room. There's no way we really would put 700 people in, in that room. But uh, And then at our other campus, uh, it, like I said, it's about 100. So that's a unique part of us being here and being a multi-site church. We're not in a metropolis. So, uh, you know, our other campuses are really going to be smaller because they're really more in some rural areas. Hmm. And what do you have multiple services in the in the big one? Uh, we did before COVID. So that was okay. one of the decisions we made coming out of COVID is uh, at least for right now, we're one service, potentially we go back to two. And again, that's part of the advantage of having a bigger worship center is yep. that we're able to facilitate that. Sam, I'm curious about the the percentages of the room. Previously, the rule of thumb was 80% full, 40% empty. And so you want to 40% feels empty, 80% feels too full. So once you start bumping 80%, you want to launch another service, those sort of things. How uh, do you see that shifting? Do you see it shifting down? And by temporary factor yeah, temporarily. I, I think the expectation, you know, we in our we have five services across two sites in two different languages. And, you know, our eight o'clock service on our 
at our 1305 campus, as we call it, the, the, the bigger campus, the first campus, um, you know, we'll have 70 people in there. Um, and it's a very large room. And any other social dynamic that would feel bad, but because it's our traditional service and, you know, we're, we're not in season yet. This is what we call here in Florida being in season with our snowbirds. Um, you know, I think everyone's really glad that they can have a pew to themselves. Uh, so, uh, you know, that, but that won't be the case. We need it to grow, right? In mm-hmm. fact, part of our philosophy here, you know, our, um, we, we are, we're, we're calling it fill the room campaign. So, you know, we're, we're reaching out, we're getting our friends, bringing them to church. Um, now's the time to do that. Uh, so I think temporarily, I think for the next 18 months and, until things start quieting down and vaccine starts getting distributed and people start seeing, you know, life kind of return, uh, you know, you're, you're going to have that temporary effect of, you know, the percentage being lower is not a big deal at all. Mm-hmm. Like it, it really, you know, just, people just don't even care right now. Right. But they will eventually. And it is, a, it is a, it is a social problem. It is a, it's a sociolo- it's a sociological problem. When your room is either too full or, or your parking lot is too full, that's our case. And our room's yeah. fine. It's a tiny, we're in the city, so it's a tiny little parking lot. Um, or it's, uh, you know, too full or too empty. Um, so I think right now the, the, the bigger problem is too full, believe it or not. You know, if you're not able to social distance right now, uh, I think people get a little, little hesitant. Yeah. It's so a little uncomfortable. Yeah. I've, I've got a theory on this, but I'm curious about what you guys think. Michael, the, so let's say you're at a church and we're just dreaming here. We're 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 po- we're we're post COVID. Okay, we're back to some sort of semblance of normal. You're pastoring a church; it's growing, and um, you're at that stage. We need to build, or we need to add services, or we need to multi-site. What do you think the the smart move going forward is? Generally speaking, the wise thing was to build a bigger sanctuary. You just right. you just keep building a bigger sanctuary up to some degree of your know, knowledge, and maybe go to multiple services. What do you what do you think should be path A? Uh, well, I would I would say definitely path C is going to be building a bigger worship center. Uh, okay, I, and I think Sam obviously referenced to that. I, I think the day of building the big monstrosity is over. Uh, I, I know one pastor. You guys would know his name. Your listeners would know his name. Uh, he, he said before one of the biggest mistakes I made as a pastor was building the worship center I built, and it's about a six thousand, seven thousand, uh, you know, seat auditorium. Mm-hmm. And, and and because of just what you said, you know, you you got two thousand people sitting in in worship, and it feels empty. And so mm-hmm. uh, I, I know here right now. We're we're in the uh, in the early stages of looking at actually doing a renovation of our worship center, and one of the conversations we're having right now is how do we uh, how do we transition our seating capacity what it is now to actually a lower seating capacity because um, we just feel like the future for us looks like more services than it does putting more people in the room. Mm, I like that. So you're saying C would be build a larger sanctuary, which see I think this is helpful. There are listeners right now that are sitting here, and even pre COVID they were thinking about building. Um, right now, their their numbers are maybe still strong. You know, their online presence and all that, and they're looking post COVID. They're thinking, okay, if our numbers go down a little bit, but also the expectation of the room goes down a little bit, we're going to be in the same sort of situation. It's just going to be sociologically different. Yeah, and a lot of them were, you know, maybe looking at building larger. So, what would be a then? Either of you, uh, Michael Orson. 
Yeah, I, I I think it depends on the situation. I think it depends on the context of the church. Um, you know, for us here, we're in a unique community because we're a twin city. So we've got West Monroe and Monroe. And so we know there's a there's a, a natural divide in our community about that river. And so for us doing multi-site of, of, of really planting a site on the east side of the river, it really made a lot of sense for us because there's people that the only reason they come into West Monroe is because we have a Chick-fil-A and they don't. <laughs> you know, so uh, so for us, <laughs> it's reason yeah across that river. that's right so for us it made it, it made a lot of sense to to do that um and so as we're as we're continuing to grow i think for us it's going to be a combination of both of those things if it makes okay. sense to launch a new site in a new area then we'll do that if it makes sense for us to add services then we'll do that as well yeah i'll speak generally uh generally you've got two different kinds of growth that can occur in the church there's the horizontal growth and then there's the vertical growth think of horizontal growth as feeling filling the glass that you have so you know, I've got a worship space of 600. I'm going to fill that room. Um, that's vertical growth. Uh, horizontal growth would be planting new things. Yeah. You know, uh, it would be uh, another site, even another venue, potentially another service, a uh, different style at a different time. I mean, there's, you know, you're, you're starting to add options. So that's, you know, that's horizontal growth. And I think the future is more horizontal than vertical. Um, I think the days of building big and trying to fill it big are done. Um, and I think a lot of churches 10 and 15 years from now that have giant worship spaces and they're, they're trying to go get old and millennials to be older at that point. I'll be 50 in 10 years and I'm a millennial. Um, <laughs> you know, but Gen Z, they're going to find Gen Z. They, they ain't playing that game. Like that's not their jam. So I, I think uh, a lot of the baby, the, the mega church phenomenon was a baby boomer phenomenon. Yeah. And if you go to a lot of these large churches, people think they're young and, and a lot of them are, but many of them are full of baby boomers too. Um, so once the baby boomers start aging out, yeah, it's going to have a different feel and a different way of growing. And you're going to grow um, more horizontally than vertically if, if you grow. So multi-site is going to become more important. Obviously, there's ecclesiological issues around that. There's practical issues around that. Um, you know, multi-service, multi-venue is going to become more important. Mm-hmm. I say all that to also say that there are certain communities that will always lend themselves to a large one-site presence. Um, that may not mean a 7,000 seat worship space, but, but it could mean, you know, a, a big campus model. Um, you know, I think of uh, the community south of me, Naples, which, you know, it's the farthest you can go on the on the west coast of Florida without hitting the Everglades. And, it, you know, Florida in and of itself is a bit of an island. I mean, it's a peninsula, but, you know, I got to go six hours north before I even get out of the state. Um, so, you know, go even further south than me and, and you're, you're really kind of just, you know, you are where you are. You're not traveling to go to a different state. So there's going to be some communities like Naples that will always lend themselves to, because of the isolation, a, and I think of some communities out west, you know, where you've got a community and then the next big town is, you know, you drive through Prairie and then you get to the next big town of, you mm-hmm. know, two or three hours away. So those t- kinds of communities will always lend themselves to a, a big one campus model because it's the destination point in the town. Um, that being said, I think generally churches are going to grow horizontally, not vertically. So launching more sites or things. Sites, venues, times, uh, particularly sites and venues are going to become more important. And I think micro sites are the future. Uh, I think, you know, you, you start planting a site, you know, not launching large, launching small and then growing steadily is, is a good way to go. That's what I mean by a micro site. Um, operationally, you're thinking very simple. 
So, uh, like you launch out a preaching venue uh, and it's pretty much just a Sunday morning offering. And then all of the other stuff that goes along with a, a larger, healthier church is still at the the main campus or is that kind of no not necessarily no i'm i'm thinking more neighborhood models so if you if you were to plot every church in the united states what you're going to find is you know you got a lot of you got a lot of r- rural churches around and that's a whole nother world right um and then you have a handful i mean a handful of these churches that are at primo locations you know major intersections you know we bought the land at the right time um, there's there's a handful of churches like that, but the vast majority of church real estate in the United States is buried in neighborhoods. Right. So I do think that the future of the church is is buried in these neighborhoods, and you know a lot of times it's two three acre sites. Um, it's community grew up around it. Church is in decline. You know, there's 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 this huge need for a revitalization of neighborhood ministry. Right now, I would say I'm hopeful that it could be. I won't say that it should be or that it will be. Um, mm-hmm. It should be, but I don't know that it will be. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. So um, the future, the future is that neighborhood church of two, three hundred people. That's the future. Whether it's a site of a larger church or not, I, that any of that can happen. Sure. I would prefer live preaching at these campuses or these churches than video venue. I think video venue will fade away with the baby boomers, um, and I think that people in the future will crave more in-person connection. So a digital first strategy is. Not going to be helpful. So if you're out there listening and you're thinking, I'm going to go digital first, in person second, I think you're going to miss, I think you're going to miss it. Hmm. Uh, in person, uh, live preaching and campuses, sites, churches of two, three, four, five hundred multiple services at smaller venues. So Michael, you, you, you're multi site, Sam is as well. What, so in, in our situation, I'm sitting here looking at, okay, we got to build, we're, we're blowing out at the seams. We're at to three services. We don't want to do more than three services, particularly on Sunday morning. It's just too much. We can't necessarily venue on the same campus because we're not only three services, we're also three small group hours yep. and anything that could have been a venue has a couple small groups in it, you know? So, um, what does a church like myself or other people at different levels, we're looking at this and in, in you're going back to your lead team going, okay, scratch the big drawings, the pretty drawings that we had to build right here. We're going to go multi-site. Before we needed to raise money and start campaigning toward money, what do I need to do now to prep for multiple smaller preaching venues if that's the direction that a, a person's going to go? What do you think on that? Well, that's a big question, and uh, there's a lot of things that you've got to attack with uh, with that in front of you. But I, I think for I think for us, uh, like when we started our last campus, it was asking the question: Where are people coming from? You know, where where are the people that are coming to uh, to our West Monroe campus? Uh, and then when we when we got an idea where they're coming from, then it's asking the question: Hey, is there a vibrant work that's happening in that community already? You know, our heartbeat is obviously to come alongside other churches. We're not trying to win people from other churches, but so for us, it was looking at: Hey, where are people coming from? And, and then where they are coming from, it, are there vibrant works that are happening? And for us, we said: Hey, this looks like an area that makes sense to us. We felt like the Lord was leading us into it, and so for us that. That's where we saw a shift of people that were coming to our West Monroe campus that are now going over there. So that alleviated some, uh, you know, some of the, the the crowding issues that we would have at our at our West Monroe campus. But then it also gives us a presence in that community that we've never had before. Um, 
we were able to get into the schools and uh, into key relationships with leaders in that community that we've never had before. Even though we had people coming from that mm-hmm. area to our West Monroe campus, we didn't have the influence. So one of the things we've said as we went multi-site is, is that our church for a long time has been a regional church. And by that, I mean, we've had people from our region come to us. Now we've had a philosophy change, kind of like Sam was saying, where we want to go to our region by having locations and having sites. And we do live preaching in all our locations, but we want to be in those neighborhoods because we know we can have an impact in those neighborhoods more than if we were just asking people from those neighborhoods to come to, to our West Monroe campus. That makes sense. Let me ask you all a specific issue yeah. that we're struggling with and we're thinking about. If we do that, we, we began conversations with, we have hundreds of people coming from one community um, outside of Conway, right? And we began talking to some of them about, well, what, do we, what would it look like if we were to launch a venue up there or a campus up there? It would still be Second Baptist. What would that look like? And some of the pushback was, you know, well, would the preaching be the same? Would the music be the same? We come to this church because of this church. Like, we like this church. And I guess one of the ways that I kind of learned it, or or, they're not cattle. I can't, like, load them up into (laughs) a trailer and move them to another pasture. Sure. They they decided to come here, you know. And I've I've, I've had this conversation with other people where they're like, like what you said there, Michael. Well, there is a church in X community. I'm not talking about my situation, but just unnamed community out there. And we like them. we got philosophical similarities, all that kind of stuff. So why don't you just encourage your people to go to that church? Well, the response is our people are fully aware of that church. That's right. They're not, they're not like, oh, yeah, there is an option right by my house. They visited that a couple times. And then they joined us, you know, after they visited the other church a couple times. So... How do you wrestle with that? Um, because they, they are coming to a thing that has a certain culture and a certain personality. And I know what you're saying there, Sam, which you launch small and then maybe grow. That's what I say. You don't wrestle with it. You can't. You're not going to be able to force any, that on anybody. And if you do and you guilt people into it, it, whatever you plant or whatever you start won't work. So it's not yeah. really a – it won't lessen the crowding at the, the one camp. Not necessarily. That's not the main issue there. I would I would say this. Once you start doing it, that snowball will build yeah. and people will get it and they'll catch it. And, you know, we have two sites now. We uh, Our people are just beginning to kind of understand what we're doing. It's going to take a third and a fourth site before I think it even truly catches on to the culture of the church. Mm. And at that point, you know, if we if we fill the room here at West Bradenton, let's say we get a thousand people on our on our campus, our larger campus, I'm going to be able to find 50 people. That'll say, I'll go do that for a year. Mm-hmm. I'll go do that for two years. I'll commit to a year. I'll commit to two years and get it started. Um, so, I think this whole, I, I think if you have the mentality of if we go start something, it needs to grow to hundreds, it's going to be harder. But if you start with the mentality of, hey, we'll take 50 people and we'll do this neighborhood ministry and hope that it grows over three, four years to 150, I think that's a more reasonable model, mm-hmm. more sustainable model. Yeah. So, I, no, I don't think it's a matter of let's go find hundreds and relieve the tension at the current campus. You're not, you just, there's, there's going to be a bunch of people that don't want to do that. There's always going to be the entrepreneurial types that are willing to go plant. Um, and there's always going to be one that is like, you know what, I've always kind of felt the call to preach. I just don't want to leave my job. Great. Now I've got a bivocational pastor mm-hmm. um, or co-vocational pastor or marketplace pastor, whatever you want to call them. Right. Um, so I think that there's a lot of potential there if you go small. 
not large. If you have a launch large strategy, we're going to spend quarter of a million dollars, half a million dollars. We're going to launch this site. We're going to do a lot of promotion. We hope, we hope we have 400 people that come, 500 people that come because then we'll know we'll land, you know, about half that in, in our size and we'll grow from there. Mm-hmm. You know, those are, those are very risky endeavors. No, I get and that. Not, not always yeah. successful. You're needing a lot of investment and strength behind that before you go. I think there's another level to this, which we could talk about. It's just the whole finding the partnership, the churches that like, You'd rather go with a work that's sort of already there and maybe just partner together and make it a campus or whatever. I think that's a struggle I see sometimes in these models and I hear people talk. I'm not in any of this. I'm just talking to other guys that are doing this, you know. And the the joke is the ones that you would want to partner with don't feel that they need a partner. You know, the ones that are okay, you know, and good facility stuff, they don't need a partner. The ones that need a partner you don't really want to partner with because, you know, they're needing a partner for a reason and you don't want to take on that problem, you know? So a lot of interesting wrinkles uh, to this strategy of smaller multiple worship venues or preaching venues to expand and even including like the preachers that you're going to stick out there. You know, usually we have the better preachers in our churches that are you know, growing large and that sort of stuff. And they are, they do have an attraction value to them. Um, as far as like, I hear the word better that way, you know, I'm trying to make it pious, but you know what <laughs> I mean. Don't, then don't, don't build it around, don't build it around the quality of preaching. I mean, you want high quality preaching. Don't right. build it around the charisma, the charisma of the pastor, build it around the mission to, to the neighborhood. Sure. Sure. I get that. I just don't know that. I, I would be willing to say that a lot of these churches that built around the charisma of that that main, very talented preacher, I don't know that they did that anything intentionally. The guy just stood up and preached every week, and he he happens to be really good at it, you know, and so people are coming towards that. And so when you're splitting up, when you're branching out, there's some folks that are out there going, yeah, but I like his preaching, you know, and now we have that. So I don't, I don't, I know that, I know superficially that's a bad thing. But then it is a real reality is kind of what I'm of saying is we got to kind of figure that and out. And we deal in real realities here. Real realities <laughs> is nearly all we want to deal with. Um, uh, if you look at our country, there's a bunch of non-real realities that our people are dealing with. Michael, you got any final thoughts on this? Uh, thanks for being on the show, first of hey, all. Hey, man, I'm, I'm pumped to be with you guys today. I appreciate it. No, I, I yeah. think I think the, the future is going to present even more of those challenges. I think Sam's exactly mm-hmm. right that uh, the future is smaller. And I think for us, one of the big wins we've seen of being multi-campus and those campuses being at different sizes is every single campus is learning from the other campus. So there's things mm-hmm. that are larger campuses that we've implemented from our smallest campus that they were doing and they were doing well and said, man, that's working. It's connecting with people. It's helping communicate the vision or the mission or whatever it was. And so we've implemented it into a, into a larger campus. And so uh, I think there's uh I, I think I think the future is going to, like Sam said, it's going to be smaller, uh, and I think that's an exciting thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Michael. What are other ways that listeners can, uh, you know, connect with you? Twitter, something like that. How, yeah, how on on that? Twitter, uh, m underscore wood uh, at m underscore wood uh, on Facebook, not very much, uh, and then on Instagram, m underscore wood one five. So nice. So make sure you're connecting with Michael. Wood, and thank you for connecting to EST. You know where to find Sam and I on the Twitter or on the Instas or on the Facebooks. Wherever you find us, we're mostly at our offices or coffee shops, and we are glad that you are listening today. Thanks so much for listening, EST. We'll catch you next week.
Hi there, Tom Rayner here. I realize it might seem we're nowhere near the holiday season, but it will soon be upon us before you know it. And our friends over at Church Initiative want us to remember that the Thanksgiving and Christmas season is a time of year that can be really tough for people who's lost a loved one or who have been divorced. So listen to some of the things grieving and divorced people say on their Grief Share and Divorce Care Facebook pages during the holiday season. People like Jean and Susan are hurting. They're looking for help. And you can provide it through your church, through Divorce Care and Grief Share, Surviving the Holiday Events. Visit churchinitiative.org forward slash holidays to learn how your church can offer one or both of these impactful programs this holiday season. And you can get the information in the show notes as well. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening.